Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Kia ora, Catherine. Konnichiwa, Jane. Uh, is it <laughs> autumn yet? <laughs> well, there's little signs of it. There's a it few teeny, teeny tiny signs of it, but mm, not temperature-wise. No. What's your teeny tiny signs of autumn? Well, some leaves are falling off the tree <laughs> outside my window. <laughs> right. And here and there I see more leaves fluttering around. So I mm-hmm. think they're trying to mm. show us that it's coming into yeah. autumn. Yeah. Yeah, but they've just given up. They've just given up and died. Yeah, maybe that's it. They're just tired out and they want to fall off and go, I've had enough of the summer. Mm. Oh, it's so hot. And it's been, what, July, August, September. Yeah, it's been a long summer. It's been very long. We shouldn't complain, but it has actually been really, really hard and tiring. So we're looking forward to it disappearing. Yeah. And uh, this morning I was actually out walking my dog and I noticed that the spiders have mm. really cranked up their spider web making and that happens in autumn and Ooh. these are these really giant spiders they they like if they bite you you won't die um okay. type spiders they're sort of big black and yellow stripy bodied spiders they're quite large Ooh. yeah Ooh. and they build these massive webs and sometimes the webs go across the road and sometimes you <gasps> walk into them it's not not great no way how do they build them across the road Is oh they that... do it at night when there's oh. obviously no, nothing and then so in the morning if you're the first one to walk across the road you might end up wow with a spider web in your face but <laughs> this is where the whole like spider webs as a decoration for halloween come from and i always wondered about that i was like what's that what right webs you know but because <laughs> in fukushima at this time of the year it's just spider webs everywhere um across all the trees and all of the um bushes so that is why this is wow, so i know it's wow, like autumn wow. has started the spiders are cranking up their spider web didn't uh, know that production hmm. that is absolutely fascinating <laughs> right why <laughs> why with spider webs oh yeah, got it go. yeah very educational morning and have you been um aside from looking at spider webs have you also been clicking on the tv to watch a little bit of the oh, rugby yes. world cup Yes, been keeping an eye on the Rugby World Cup. Really enjoyed a certain game between a small island nation and a big uh, rugby power where the small island nation won. That was so exciting. Well done. That was. <clears throat> Fiji. Yes. Yes, thank you. You said it. Fiji, they did so well. Amazing. Yeah, and, they did you know, well. Japan is also doing its best. They did lose to England, but boy, did they put on a fight. Mm. I was so proud of them. I was um, just egging them on and... Uh, after that, during the day, there are a couple of people I came across who are like, did you watch it? Did you watch it? There's a group of uh, Japanese men who I associate with, and we're all in the rugby thing at the moment. So it's mm. quite fun. Japanese are often renowned for not doing small banter at the beginning of meetings, but we are doing rugby talk at the beginning of our meetings. And those who are not rugby people are kind of giving us a bit of a side eye, but we're enjoying it so we also talk about baseball just to make things even right we've got to talk about baseball i can talk about baseball too you can talk about it too right your favorite team won the series right the c league the central league that's right and they are going through to the japan series so yeah very very exciting for us baseball followers here in japan this time of year lots of sporting events there's lots i mean Mm. the japanese um what is it what's that what are you doing? <laughs> oh, I can't remember the sport that goes over the over the net. Over the net. Volleyball. Volleyball. Thank there you. you. Ah, yes. Volleyball is happening Yes, at the so moment. the Japanese volleyball team are doing really, really well, female mm-hmm. volleyball team. And mm-hmm. I've also noticed that the Japanese basketball team are doing super well. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of really good sports that perhaps I wasn't really interested in in the past that I've sort of built up this interest in, especially the basketball, I have to say. Mm. Well, we are lucky. We get to see all of this on regular TV here in Japan. Japan does a great job of televising all of these sporting events for yes. people to watch without having to subscribe to anything in particular. So Indeed. Mm. And I'm actually watching the Rugby World Cup in Japanese for the Japanese broadcast, and I'm really thankful for that. It's quite good because it gives me a bit of the education around how to say all the terms you know, in mm. rugby, in Japanese. Right. So I can actually speak 
Japanese rugby terms. Now. now you're learning your Japanese rugby. Learning right. my Japanese rugby. But the other thing that's helping me is, I have to say, is the rundowns that are being on the Japan Rugby Weekly podcast. Oh, yes. 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 They're back in full steam now. And it's really great because Doug Pickin, the translator for mm-hmm. the Dino Wars, mm. is leading that. And we've seen also, just in recent episodes, Jess Sushon, who was mm. on one of our former episodes on jandals in japan she's Mm. also giving him a little bit of help there and it's really fun hearing them and so if you're interested in rugby and you're just dying for it everywhere you can get it um the japan rugby weekly podcast is a great one to go to if you want some kiwiisms rugby talk and a bit of banter they are great fun and they're ramping up again through rugby world cup and the coming season for japan tournaments here too so put that on your dial Mm. so who have we got this week Monique Holmes, right? So Monique may not be a household name to you all, but we really are so excited to bring her because thanks to Kylie Archer, the Trade Commissioner at NZTE, we got to know about Monique because she is the recipient of the Global Fisheries Scholarship in 2023. I think I'm too excited about rugby and I'm getting tongue-tied this morning, Jane. She's got a background in marine biology that led her to doing work in Māori fisheries and aquaculture. And that also led her to doing this scholarship that brought her to Japan. Uh, she ended up doing a trainee role with Nisui as well. Amazing story, Amazing full of really interesting mm. information. So if you're thinking about how do you get a scholarship to Japan, and if you're particularly interested in this area, fisheries mm. and aquaculture, aquaculture, listen in because it's super mm. episode i hope yeah. you got everything you needed out of that everyone i just didn't have my ears or eyes or mouth in action this morning <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's hear from Monique. kia ora monique welcome to the jandals in the japan podcast great to have you on the show today thank you kia ora. so our warm-up question for you today is what is one thing that you're going to miss from Japan now you're back in New Zealand? Oh, public transport is pretty topical for me. Um, so I live in Wellington and we have good public transport by New Zealand standards, but no way near anything compared to Tokyo. And I miss not just being able to take a train everywhere that comes every like two to five minutes so Mm. I'm never late for anything never late for work and I miss that the most because now if you miss your bus you have to wait another 30 minutes to get to work and then you're very very late so yeah definitely (laughs) I'm missing missing the metro for sure there you go Catherine you live in Tokyo obviously that's a nice thing to refresh your memory that it's something to treasure isn't it thank you Monique because it really is an absolute gem about Tokyo and we totally take it for granted Mm. right we just expect the trains to be there and everything to run but how on earth does Tokyo run all of those subway systems plus the general trains that go around and all kinds of networks I have no idea, but it's an amazing thing about Japan. Thanks for saying Mm. that. For me, it's the same, right? I mean, the trains, but I also really love the re-delivery service in Japan. So people will deliver to you. And if you're not at home, they'll leave a note in your box saying, I'll be back, ring us and tell us when you want us to come back. And so we can ring and identify a time frame, like two to four or six to eight, and they will definitely come back then. Whereas in oh, New Zealand, that's... maybe that doesn't happen, right? The bloke will be not turning up or, mm. yeah, whatever. But that's another thing on the efficiency mm. of Japan. You cannot match it, I don't think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? When we send out microphones for our podcast to people who we're recording with in Japan, they get them the next day. And it's like amazing. So, amazing. So efficient, fantastic. And Jane, do you have something that's really lovely like that that you would – you would miss if you didn't have it or that makes you think about how just in this moment about Japan that's amazing well you stole my one about that (laughs) um I think it's the convenience store just that you can do everything there like I can send boxes I can pay bills if I need to I can buy a ticket to a concert I can Mm. photocopy stuff if I need to I can get you can fax 
We can fax things, yes. One can fax, print out photos, buy all kinds of food and whatever. And even my convenience store in my neighborhood stocks things that my kids ask me for at the very last minute that they need for school. And I'm like, I can't believe that you have not told me that you needed and it, what like it was once it was um calligraphy paper paper for doing you know the japanese mm. calligraphy kids do that in school and they're like i need calligraphy paper today and i'm like it's seven seven o'clock in the morning and i'm like oh my god maybe they have some at the 7-eleven they have it at the 7-eleven so yeah, ten, yeah 10 minutes later i had calligraphy paper in my I, hand it was like yeah. this would never happen the, anywhere else yeah love but. it <laughs> The New Zealand dairy pales the, in comparison to the convenience stores. Yeah, But you got compare. me there, Jane. You said you can print photos at the convenience store. I didn't know that. Oh, yes. Very oh. easily. Yes, yes. different okay. sizes and things. That so. might be this week's challenge. I'm going to go and print a photograph. Fantastic. Wow. Monique, we're so happy to have you. And we'll put your full bio in the show notes. We know you've got a background in marine biology. And that's led you to doing a lot of work in Māori fisheries. But we're so keen to hear your background. Tell us about growing up in New Zealand. Yeah, so I grew up in Tauranga, which is a bit north where I am now, which is Wellington. And it's very beautiful, lovely beaches. I grew up coastal, so I spent a lot of time in that environment. And then I moved down to Wellington for university. And then I fell in love with Wellington, actually. It's such a beautiful city here as well. And I sort of randomly picked it out of a book of majors that you could do at university. And then I just absolutely loved it. I did my undergrad and then I was like, this is not enough. So I stayed and I did my master's. And we're very fortunate that in Wellington, the University is Victoria and they have a coastal ecology lab, which is right along the South Coast. So you like look out onto the ocean And that's where I was based at. Yeah. Yeah, And so sometimes you see dolphins if you're lucky and seals and stuff like that, like on a, you know, on a good day. And during my time at uni, I did some summer scholarships that are run through the university and sometimes like other companies or um, lecturers that need research done over the summer break. And I was very fortunate enough to be introduced to Te Ohu Kaimoana, which is created out of the fishery settlement so they have like a long history there and I spent a summer with them and then I went back to university finished my master's and after that I came back the day of handing my thesis and actually I was feeling very lost and I walked in I said can I have a job and then a week later I started there full-time oh, wow. yeah it was a huge relief but yeah, yeah after I finished uni I was like what am I doing with myself and it was on my walk home so I just thought I'd pop in and then I was like can I have a job? <laughs> and there you go. Wow, right? Being so active mm. throughout studies, but also just taking the chance and going in and saying, can I have a job? Well done. But yeah, so it worked out really well. And that's sort of what introduced me to this process. So as I just mentioned before, Tiohu Kamwana is part of the fishery settlement, which is also connected to other companies, which is Moana and Sea Lord. And so together they in the past have been running this scholarship and I was fortunate to work with like previous recipients as well. And that's sort of how I got exposed to it. And then when the time came to apply, when the applications opened, I jumped at the opportunity and was very fortunate to be supported by the people I was working with at the time. And then, yeah, so I applied, but unfortunately then COVID happened. So there was a whole lot of delay. So I went through this process a wee while ago now. I think I applied 2019 mm. and then I went this year, 2023. So there was um, oh, a longer time. Big wait, between. yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> well worth it, I would say. Well worth the wait. Have you had any connection with Japan before you came on that scholarship? No, no, none whatsoever. So it was really incredible, actually. I think kind of the only sort of dealings I'd had or understanding of Japan is with my sister. She's like quite into a lot of like Japanese culture things and food. So we would like share those experiences together. And so sometimes I watch anime with her or Studio Ghibli films. And I was actually really fortunate she was able to come visit me for a couple of weeks and have a holiday while I was there. And it was really cool to like, to get to see her to experience it as well was like a really awesome feeling for me. So that was sort of my only kind of really brief understanding of Japan before I got there, to be honest. 
You pulled out a good point there too, right? The long-termers like us who've been in Japan 20 years, when we have our friends visit or family visit, we see Japan through their eyes. It's really mm. magical. So I'm glad you got to do that. Yeah, That's so cool. So how do you apply for this scholarship? Where does it rest? I mean, where do you find this information? Cool. So um, it rests with Moana now. So they administrate the scholarship, run the whole process. And I think the best way to sort of stay in the loop of when it's coming up and advertising and the application process is through their website, through their careers tab on their website and also through their social media, they advertise it there as well. So the process can be a little lengthy because you do need to do some language study before you go. So usually you find out, then they allow you like a year of language. So like still doing your day-to-day life and then you sort of do language study in your spare time or after work in the weekends. And then the next year you'll go. Wow. wow. So yeah, the whole process can be quite, quite linked. Please. A lead up. Yeah. 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 That's really amazing to invest a year in language study. So that's Japanese language study. Yeah. And yeah. what kinds of things are you learning? What sort of Japanese? Because there's different kinds of Japanese language, but what are they what are the kinds of topics or themes that they're teaching you? Because I'm based in Wellington and the company is based in Auckland, I just had a, I just found a tutor. And so we just were, went through the Genki book and just mm-hmm. sort of basics to get in five was the sort of end mm-hmm. goal for me in that year. What I would say was it was good because my tutor had lived in Japan for five years. So they would talk about their experience working and sort of like cultural nuances that were really Mm -hmm. useful and sort of like key phrases I thought was probably the most useful part out of that for me because you learn must form Japanese and then nobody speaks to you that way and you're just confused (laughs) all the time. Exactly, right? But you've got it right. It's not just the language. It's that cultural Mm -hmm. overlay as well, right, and knowing when to use things. So no one uses must. I have that same thing when I came to Japan is, hang on, that's not my textbook. What's going on here? Yeah, so it's good to know must form of verbs, right? You can always go down from there, but it's harder if you learn more casual Japanese yeah, to go definitely up. definitely harder to go so, up. So, wow, that is so cool. They really did invest mm. to make sure that you had a good a good chance here and weren't just thrown in the deep end, Yeah, as it were, if I can use a, a water. <laughs> yeah. <connected>, <laughs> I would say it did still feel like the deep end. This was my first time being in a country that wasn't an English-speaking country. And so that was at first a little bit overwhelming just because there's like everything around you is not in your native tongue and native speakers speak so fast, which also I had to like take that on board and slow down my English when I was speaking English with people Mm. because I was like, oh, I'm I'm talking so quickly. Mm. Um, But it was it's all part of it and it actually like was quite a cool experience to be able to see that on the other side because like in New Zealand we all speak English you're around like English signs all the time so you just take it for granted how comfortable it is being in your native language so that was a really cool experience as well to sort of see that dichotomy I guess. Definitely definitely there's nothing like being rendered illiterate to humble you and (laughs) make you sort of rethink how you yeah do things so Mm. yeah gosh so you arrived here in Japan. Mm -hmm. And then what happened? Tell us a little bit about what you got up to during the scholarship. Cool. So when I first arrived in Japan, the like very next day, I was met with somebody from Nasui who was like my, I guess, minder, I would say, the person (laughs) who looked after me the most. And so they met me, they took me into the company to introduce me to everybody. And they had, it just happened to have a board meeting that day. So my first day I went and introduced myself to their board. Mm. Um, So I had to prep a little like, hello, I'm Monique in Japanese, which was fine. (laughs) And then they took me out for lunch and then they sort of just gave me a rundown on how everything was going to work. So for two weeks, I just went to language school. So I had like, um, it was more of like a private tutor type setup. Like I did lessons one-on-one and I would go there in the, for about four to five hours a day for two weeks. So that was for the first half of January. And then in February, I spent a month in the mornings, I would go to my language school. And then in the afternoon, I would go into the company and I would spend a few days with different departments of the company. And that would give me presentations or 
take me to other subsidiary companies that they dealt with or sort of companies that had relationships that they were thought was important to sort of show to me, to teach me about what they do. So that sort of meant my schedule moved around quite a bit in terms of language school, but still making sure I was finding time every day to get some study in. And then after that, I went to Kyushu for two months and I spent time at five different companies there. So I spent about two weeks, sometimes a little less at each company. And there I just focused on learning about the aquaculture they do. And then after that, I came back to Tokyo for a month and I prepared for a final presentation. So that involved going into the office as well to do the work and also going back to language school to help me sort of prep for that final speech. And then I did a final presentation to some of the Nisui board members. And then a few people from New Zealand came over sort of to be the representatives and some members from the embassy came. And then mm. after that, they took me out for an incredible meal. And then I was all finished up and I was very fortunate to spend another month in Japan just on my own time. So sort of just traveling around a little bit. Wow, what a whirlwind and amazing yeah. experience for you. Absolutely. What was one of your top insights that you came away from that experience with? One of my top insights that I also focused my final presentation on was just the dedication and commitment to constant innovation and research within the company. And so I think there's a constant, my experience from watching was there was a constant drive to be better and improve on the systems that were already in place. And I thought that was really fascinating because in New Zealand, our aquaculture is still fairly young. Um, we don't aquaculture a great diversity of species. We currently only, mainly only aquaculture three. There are a few small scale here and there, but the, the big ones is just three species. And so just seeing the sheer scale and size of aquaculture in, in Japan was incredible. And just seeing how how they were finding new workarounds of the issues that they were facing. And it was just like very incredible because I think across both countries, we're, we're going to see similar issues. So climate change is an issue, you know, waters are warming up and it's it's harder to farm in these conditions. So just seeing that sort of future proofing of the industry for them through research and innovation I think was really incredible and something that I'm very interested I think that was why I sort of took more of an interest in it because I feel it plays into my background a little bit more like I quite enjoyed that sort of hands-on side of it. Amazing so what sorts of innovations can I ask you that like there was something x and then they made it slightly better by x2 or 3. Mm, Is there something yeah. like that you could give us an example? Because I'm so interested to know what kind of things were changing and that you could see, right? And that you can obviously, when you come back to New Zealand or when you are back in the field, you can think about, oh, I saw that in Japan, they did this. Yeah. So I think two examples that were the most standout for me were um, submergible sea cages and dealing with fish disease so the sea cages is they experience typhoon season in Japan and so they have made these cages that you submerge them to about 10 8 meters of depth and then you refloat them for feeding and checking on the fish and then you submerge them and so when there's like bad weather the cages stay undamaged so the fish because when the cages are damaged the fish escape mm -hmm. and it's a lot of you know, you can get sort of waste in the water and things like that. So it allows them to be able to farm in rougher conditions and sort of cater to the climate that they have more so. And just the scale of them and watching them rise out of the water, like I never tired of seeing it every day. It impressed me. It's like, this is it. amazing. It comes yeah. up in the typhoon or come, goes down in the typhoon? It, it Go sinks down, in right? the typhoon. Down. Yeah. sinks in the typhoon. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so so it's you, a safe, literally safe harbour for them down yeah. below. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What's the other one then? The other one was um, fish disease. So I spent some time at a research center in Saiki Oita and they had created sort of a program that could be used across many companies that farmed in Japan that were part of the Nisui sort of grouping. And it was just standardizing how they test the fish and setting up protocols or manuals on how people could do it themselves. So they were sort of upskilling the people that were already in these companies to be able to test the fish, see what was going on and find the right treatment or solution so that it didn't spread further and that it could be done immediately and on the ground. 
And so I was really cool meeting those people who had come up with this program and all these standards that could be used across all these different places. And then when I went to different companies, I was able to see them using those manuals and doing the tests and stuff like that. And that was really cool because fish disease is um, a big problem in aquaculture just in general. So it was really cool to see that they had created this whole program out of it that had solely come out of this one research company and that was being sort of spread across different Nisui companies was incredible. Well, we can so sense your excitement. (laughs) (laughs) Like how much fun you had. You weren't just dragged into something that you were like, oh, I have another another trip down to the ocean. fish disease. Oh, God. Totally (laughs) seem to have got into that. What did you find, though, on the other side of things that might have been a little bit of a challenge for you that, oh, I didn't know that was going to come. I wish I'd learned a bit more about that before. Did you have anything like that happen in Japan? I was going to say, one of the incredibly good things about Japan is how hospitable they are, the manaki tongue you receive, but also on the other side, it can be really extreme. Um, and that was my experience when I was with um, some companies is that they were so keen to look after me that it was just a lot. So right. it was like every yeah. day it was like after work, we'll come pick you up and we'll do an activity. And it was a really incredible experience, but I just wasn't used to it. And that was, I think, probably a cultural shock for me that I was like, oh, these people want to spend a lot of time with me. And so it was just, (laughs) but it was really Mm. eye-opening because I got some really incredible experience out of it that I wouldn't have done on my own or I wouldn't have thought to go to these places. So it sort of balanced out in the end where I could reflect and be like, if I had been like, oh no, I don't feel like doing anything this weekend, like I would have missed out on all these incredible experiences and being able to see the things that they really enjoyed about their town or their city that I was staying in at the time. So I think it was like a big sort of learning experience for me and almost like a maturing experience to just be like, I just need to sort of say yes to a lot of opportunities that are presented to me and you know, be a little more social sometimes. But yeah, so that was probably one of the things that did sort of catch me off guard initially. But, Mm. and it varied where I was. Like some people were Mm. like extremely welcoming and others were like very welcoming, but they sort of gave me like a little more free time or time Mm. to do things by myself. So it really did vary where I went. Mm -hmm. It's taken very seriously, isn't this? This Mm -hmm. omotenashi. And Mm. it's all been decided who's looking after you on Saturday who's looking yeah. after you on Sunday and what mm. you're doing and where you're going and all these things. And it's like, well, did you ask me if I wanted to do anything on Saturday or Sunday? Um, mm. Yeah, because quite often my husband will also be like, oh, I've got people from Sweden, so I'm taking them to this place on Saturday. Is that okay? I'm like, did you ask them? Did they want to go? You know, just check in on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's not like you belong to them, but they are responsible Mm. for you. So they take that Mm. incredibly seriously Mm. and um, they want you to have the best time possible. And yes, they're super proud to introduce all of their local things to see and do in their town. And like you said, when you lean into it later, you can look back and go, that was amazing. It might have been a little bit full on at the time, but Mm. it was amazing. So I'm glad you leaned into it. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. you've only got that moment and you miss it if you don't. And I think too, you've got to just pull that extra energy because you are wider than yourself. You're this ambassador, Mm. right? For the company, the people who have sent you on the scholarship, they've paid for that. They Mm. expect so much, right? And they're watching you as that person as well. So it really means a lot. And, you know, ultimately you're representing New Zealand so they can assess you as, oh, New Zealanders are like this. They don't really care about going out on the weekends or joining our program. But in fact, you've just done the opposite and you've shown enthusiasm. And and as you just said yourself, it actually made you have a maturity moment as well, which Mm. is fantastic. That's what a scholarship's for, right? To give you your insights to yourself as well. Absolutely. You know, it was very incredible. What was one thing you got to do that you probably would never have done on your if you were just tootling around by yourself over there? Um, one of them was actually when I was in Miyazaki, I went to Kagoshima and I think it was Kirishima Ginger and I dressed up in a kimono mm-hmm. and walked around the shrine. And I probably wouldn't have done that on my own, but I was very fortunate when I was at this particular company that um, – one of the people who was assigned to me that weekend to look after me, their wife had planned this whole day and I got hay fever when I was there, which I don't get hay fever in New Zealand, but Mm -hmm. very common in Japan. And apparently I just was part of it. I also got hay fever 
and they came to see me on the Friday and they're like, oh, we heard you're not feeling so well. Like, do you just want to rest this weekend? And I was like, and I was like, no, actually, like, it's just hay fever. I just need some nasal spray and I'll be fine. And I'm so glad I did because they, his wife had planned this incredible day and, like, the people who were doing the kimono dressing, like, didn't typically work on that day and she'd rung them up and especially asked him to come in because I was visiting from so far away. And I just, that was sort of my reminder that is, like, imagine if I had been like, oh, no, I'm not, you know, I just stayed home because I had hay fever would have felt so silly so I was like that was kind of my reminder of like Mm. actually just get on board with all these things and give it a go because like Mm. the outcome was so amazing and yeah that was very cool but something that I probably wouldn't have gone out of my Mm. way myself to do but I'm very glad I was able to get that experience. Yeah there's so much in behind there too right with her Mm. organizing other people on their day off to get you in in there and look after you and when she has to tell them oh she's not able to do it the sort of the letting down you know the mm. her face and there's all that comes in as well and it's like that I guess in every culture but in Japan there's as Jane said before is so intense in wanting to make this a super special thing for you and so there's all of that becomes a really big thing so for you to say yes and go through with it Fantastic. I wonder if they got you nasal spray. Did they get you something? Yeah, somebody took me to the pharmacy. Yeah, see? (laughs) And then I just got my Google Translate out. I was like looking through. Because I feel like their over-the-counter medication is stronger than ours is for like cold stuff as well. Like I found that it was just a little bit stronger than what I was used to taking in New Zealand. So I felt just like... You must have got a good one. Please let us know. Yeah, what did you get? What is this magic stuff that they gave you? Sure. (laughs) We find it a little bit weaker. But anyway, maybe it's perfect because it actually, Japan medicine is made for afflictions that help, uh, you know, affect you in Japan. So because you Mm. got hay fever in Japan, it would have been better than, say, if you'd brought your New Zealand one, if you were a hay fever sufferer. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I don't, I don't get hay fever in New Zealand. It was a completely new thing. Neither, but I get it here. (laughs) Wow. How does this scholarship do you think benefit New Zealand and Japan more broadly and you know would you do it again and would you do it the same way? So initially the scholarship was set up a very long time ago sort of like when the companies were all feeling new and the intention was to upskill New Zealand workers in Japanese business particularly in fisheries and send them back to New Zealand and apply that skill to our companies to grow our companies and so I think it has been doing that. I was the 15th recipient of the scholarship so there's and there was a a reasonable lapse of time due to COVID from people attending so there's a there's a long legacy and a long history behind me of the scholarship and most of the people who have gone through the process still work in one of those companies so they have sort of brought and shared that knowledge some of them have gone on to other things as well I think somebody actually ended up working in the embassy in Japan for a little bit as well so there's been like really cool experiences to come out of it so the intention of the scholarship was also to to strengthen those relationships between New Zealand and Japan and sort of keep that connection going through having this person sort of be upskilled and trained between the two companies. It's a really incredible opportunity for New Zealanders to be showcased sort of the scale that things can occur on. And also there are a lot of similarities, I feel, between Japanese and in particular Māori culture and, and how it's applied to business. Like there's one of the things that stood out for me was this real dedication to acknowledging where you come from which is a huge part of Maori culture with your whakapapa so all the things that have come before you and it was the same that I was generally surprised that she was quite important to them as well so Mm. one of the things I did was I went back to the city in which Nisui was founded in they you know talked me through the origins of the company and it was really important for them to share that with me I I sort of noted so I I think there are a lot of similarities across and it helps to build those relationships with those shared sort of understandings and shared connections. Japan is fairly advanced in how they do a lot of things and it's not that New Zealand is not advanced, we're just younger in in our industries in in some of our industries. So sort of getting that experience and that history and that context and sort of their maybe learnings and failings and, and how they worked around it is really beneficial to us to sort of expand and continue to build the industries that we have if I could do it again absolutely I would go tomorrow if they let me um I I absolutely loved it it was hard I will admit it was tiring and I part of that is just 
being in another country that doesn't mm-hmm. speak English. Part of that was the the Japanese component to it. I will admit my Japanese is pretty rubbish, so that didn't help. But yeah, no, absolutely. If I could do it again, I would. But I would hopefully be better at Japanese the next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you're going to recommend this opportunity to others. Mm, What's absolutely. key for them to get their application together and make it nice and ship shape and appeal to the people who are deciding? I expect it's people who are in the sea and maybe mm. Moana together looking at the applications. But what was do you think was really key? Like you must have to write a profile or why I want to do this scholarship. But what else is in there to help others who are listening to you going, oh, my God, I want to do exactly what Monique's done. That sounds like it's a cool experience. I think it's also having a general interest in what will come out of your time there. So for me, I'm, I'm really interested in this industry. I've worked in this industry and I see my future being in this industry. And so I think that was, I hope, think that was perhaps part of the appeal of when I interviewed it was that it goes beyond just, oh, I want to go to Japan and have an incredible experience. <laughs> yeah, because Yeah, that's a huge driver for all of us. But also it's, what am I going to do once I've had this experience? And how am I going to give back from this experience? Because that's the purpose, right? Like, you, like you're saying you're sent over as an ambassador, but you're doing this for something that's much bigger than yourself and being able to put in that context, I think, is really useful and sort of shows that you're a bit more serious about this. But yeah, I, I won't lie. Part of it is, yeah, you just want to go live in Japan and it's incredible. So yeah, I mean, there's no yeah. lying about that. But I think just it's the thinking beyond that that's mm. quite critical as well. And also having a general interest in, I think, just an understanding of the industry. I don't think you have to have worked in it or studied it, but just sort of have prepare yourself with sort of some context around it. And I think you can do that through a bit of reading or maybe just emailing people that in these companies and just saying, hey, can I have a chat and get an understanding of how these things work? I don't think you necessarily have to have that background, but just some understanding and or willingness to learn is very helpful because some of the things you do can be very technical in those industries. And I was very fortunate that I'd been exposed to some of it before that helped with the language barrier and the experience. But that's not necessarily a requirement that you have to have, but it is helpful. So if you could do some of that legwork yourself, if you don't have that background, I think that just shows that you're pretty keen or, or mm, wanting yeah, to be I a part of it and wanting to learn. One mm. of the points there, the technical thing, right? You can actually, yeah. without language, show that you understand the technical side mm-hmm. of things, right? And that really shows a different level that you get the industry, you get that point that they're trying mm. to get across. So knowing the technical stuff can still be a massive advantage, even if you don't have the the vocab to tell what you you can show it basically from your from what you're doing absolutely yeah, yeah no, i yeah. don't think i'll ever have the technical vocab in japanese of these things but you <laughs> pick up on surprised <laughs> you will be surprised right so say, yeah pick up on quite strange words like i ended up losing learning the word for like um anesthetic and mm-hmm. like the word for swim bladder and a fish and things like that before yeah. i could like just exposure like, I'm right thirsty, i'm hungry yeah. <laughs> and exactly. i'm sure you learned the word for hay fever as well <laughs> you see some opportunities what did you sort of think ah there's some really great opportunities between new zealand and japan that i sort of observed or i could think could happen did you have anything like that occur while you were here or on your way back or now that you're back I think this sort of feeds back into what I was talking about earlier with the research and innovation. I think a sharing of knowledge and sharing of resources in that particular space would be extremely beneficial to New Zealand. But also I think for Japan, it could open up sort of a new school of thought by also sort of bringing New Zealand into the conversation, you know, a bit of Kiwi ingenuity. So I think we could help each other in that kind of regard. And I think it's going to become really important because particularly with these industries, you're now requiring like a social license to operate realistically. Mm-hmm. And also just the environment is changing. We view the ocean in a different way and it has a lot of importance to a lot of different people for different reasons. And there are a lot of users of the ocean. So there's a lot of competing priorities in that space. So I just think how can we do what we're doing better and in a more sustainable or right. more environmentally friendly way is awesome. And that comes out of research and, you know, further development. So I think sharing those capabilities that Japan already has, and we have as well in New Zealand mm. together and 
sort of bringing together those research would be incredible and something I would be very interested in the future actually. If Fabulous. <laughs> Just saying, put that out there. Yeah, yeah hello. Yeah. But does, is there an exchange back? Is, does anybody come from Nisui to New Zealand and maybe not exactly the same fashion, but in some way, are, is there anything that you know of that happens in that form? Not that I'm aware of. I know there is a Japanese Nisui staff member who does work in Sea Lord and that helps keep the connection right. between those two companies. Um, I did meet somebody who had just come back from that. So I think they do like four year stints in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. So really yeah. long time in sort of a similar capacity to me as like a trainee. I'm not sure. A hundred percent. Not that I'm aware of. So the Monique that went to Japan had some aspirations or some dreams potentially, and the Monique that came back from Japan has probably a different set of glasses on after that experience. Anything that you're seeing now, you're like, wow, maybe I could do this, or maybe you could do that in the future after your experience over there. It definitely solidified for me that I loved working in that industry and I miss working in that industry. I've sort of taken a step in a different direction with my career. I'm currently working in government. There's marginal overlap in my, my current role and it sort of did make me come back and think, oh, I, I sort of miss that day-to-day -day sort of understand. Yeah, I miss that. I just missed it actually. I missed the fish, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I missed the fish. Yeah. But also it made me sort of think that I want to maybe be more involved or more interested in operational work so much so my background has been predominantly policy so far but yeah just sort of getting to have that hands-on experience when I was in Japan I was like actually I think operational would be an incredible route to go down and to learn more about and sort of see how things are happening in reality in New Zealand because sometimes policy can be a little detached from the day-to-day -day life of how these industries play out so I think yeah that would be a nice sort of definitely nice complementary sort of... right mm. like they're going to help each other in the future yeah. that's for sure Absolutely. Yeah, skills. yeah maybe you could get us some other practical exchange or secondment from where you are into an industry you know into one of the I'm not going to say where, but that gives you that more practical experience to inform the policy mm. that you're working on, right? As Jane yeah. said, it's interactional. So you could come up with an idea. Yeah. Surely there's Absolutely. something out there. Yeah. Something. Yes. Exciting. Mm. <laughs> so tell us a bit more about representing New Zealand and your culture while you were in Japan. It was a really awesome experience, but I felt like I had very big shoes to fill in that regard. Mm -hmm. So the scholarship is offered um, through companies that have a history through the fishery settlement, which comes out of the Treaty of Waitangi. So there's a strong connection to Māori-dom within these companies and within this program. And so I was really pleasantly surprised I think to see how much of an interest that people took in in Māori culture and how much sort of understanding they had whilst I was in Japan but also you are the only in a lot of these places you're the only sort of foreigner and therefore the only New Zealander so you become the expert you are on New Zealand, things. Yes. Yeah, New Zealand. <laughs> and yeah. also part of that extension of it is part of everything to do with Māori culture so that was quite an interesting and challenging part of it as well as like oh you you have to be think really hard before you answer certain questions and it was some funny funny things that came out of it like somebody asked me if Māori worship pigs and I was like oh not quite like why would you ask that and they're like oh the last person who'd come to this company from New Zealand was really into pig hunting and so they must have talked about it a lot. And then so they'd sort of made this connection. So it was like every that made me very aware that everything I say and do is now going to be held to right. the, mm. the only thing, you know. So I was like, okay, now I have to sort of think about how I want to come across as an individual, but also how I want to represent myself as a Māori and how I want to represent Māori culture and New Zealand culture in Japan. So that was also really important to me but also really grounding for me to like make sure that I was staying grounded in who I was and who I am as a Māori and my culture and my heritage to make sure that I'm doing a good job of, of sharing it with these people who have a genuine a genuine interest in it so that was mm -hmm. that was quite a cool part of it as well. 
Good on you for asking. Why, why are you asking me <laughs> yeah. about that? Instead of just going, no, that's where did you get that from? You know, yeah. oh, oh, it came from someone who had mm. talked a lot about pig hunting. Oh, some people <laughs> like doing that. Yeah, <laughs> because this connection in Japan um, between mm-hmm. nature and people is com- very rooted in mm-hmm. Japanese culture and Shinto and all mm-hmm. of this. So I can see how they might have come up with that idea or it sort of got remembered in that way right this mm. connection between nature and and people but not mm. not quite accurate potentially yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. well not where i'm from anyway <laughs> but again our comments represent our country right mm. so talking mm. about a certain thing is how they'll say oh new zealand believes this mm. new zealand yeah right and so yeah you know, in my opinion, or just my experiences, like making it contained within you is also quite important. But how mm. interesting. That's a really good observation. So, Monique, do you have any questions for us? I have quite a sort of generic question that when I was in Japan, I really, really missed flat whites and scones and cheese scones. I missed them. That was the only thing I missed, actually, pretty much, was a flat white and a cheese scone. Is there anything that you desperately miss from New Zealand food-wise or coffee or drinks? Flat whites and cheese scones flat pretty much now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. And, and when I was back yeah. recently, I just had a cheese scone frenzy and was testing them all over the place and going, well, that one was better than that one and that one was really good. And my, my youngest brother loves cheese scones. So I'd send them little reports on my cheese scone excursion around town. Awesome. Yeah, especially with the melted butter. You just can't get it. And I think sometimes let's just leave them there because it's a really wonderful thing to look forward to when you're back in New Zealand. That really, mm. you know, I'd love them here, but also I kind of want them to stay there. Yeah. yeah. Take the, ones away. You, the ones you do find are not. Not, not not up to the, yeah you no. should probably just not go there it's just like okay. when we go back to new zealand we don't eat sushi in new zealand okay because it's yeah. why would you you know like just i've been just don't yeah i've been holding off eating ramen since coming back because i actually never had eaten ramen in new zealand prior to going to japan so the first time i ever ate it was in japan in kyushu too and it was oh incredible goodness. and i yeah. just don't want to spoil the memory no, so yeah. i'm like no, no, don't spoil no, the memory. Like, we should go yeah. for ramen i'm like oh maybe not yeah. <laughs> well, unless you know it's super, super amazing. I know there's a really great mm. restaurant in Christchurch, Kinji, and they okay. have great ramen and absolutely amazing Japanese food. So mm. if you're going to miss Japanese food and you really, really want it, make a trip to Christchurch and go it's there. It's just in Christchurch, yeah. <laughs> I tried it there and I was like, I actually might have to change my bias against Japanese food in New Zealand. And it was totally fantastic. And I thank the person who took me there too change my views no please let the cheese yeah. <laughs> reside in new zealand and maybe it's our butter and our flour that makes things different and the milk i don't know but uh they're lovely right thanks for that that's so cool well monique congratulations on your first podcast thank you and, <laughs> and we're so glad that it was the jandals in japan podcast thanks for telling us about this amazing time you had in japan we know it's not going to be your last trip here not at all and we know once you get japan in your dna it's going to stay mm. we look forward to hearing from you in the future and keeping in touch and hopefully we'll see you in new zealand sometime too for a cheese gone yeah sounds great <laughs> Wow, what a fantastic conversation with Monique. That was so exciting. I didn't want to finish today. I really enjoyed hearing about her experience. She really made the most of it, didn't she? She did. It took me back to those first days when you you get to Japan for the very first time and everything's a new experience. It's really draining. As she mentioned, she felt very sort of tired, but she didn't let that stop her from leaning into all of these things that people were so generously setting up for her. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first trip for me to Japan was in the heat of summer and we were in a, a New Zealand fair up in Nagano in the in the mountain area, but it was still extremely hot. And we were all so exhausted at the end of the day, but there were still activities planned for us for the evening and everything. And we were all super tired, but we just kept going. So mm-hmm. I was thinking of that also as I was speaking with her and remembering mm-hmm. we've really got to respect the plans that people put in place for us when they have us in Japan or take Mm -hmm. us on an activity or plan a business trip or a secondment or an activity where we're going to visit a factory or visit a 
a workplace, right? That's mm -hmm. one of the things she said is just even though you might be feeling some way, respect the people who have planned something for you right? Uh, yeah. and, and do it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you might not have as much me time as you were thinking you might, right? And you're, you might have been planning something that you wanted to do might mm. not be uh, possible this time around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think she also here, she sounds like in Japan, she had her eyes open all the time for anything that was going on and must have been, I can see her almost going yay and standing there and being very excited and hands sort of getting all excited in the air as well as they're explaining these different things to her and she's seeing the way that they were doing the activities in the industry, right? So she must have really exhibited such a great enthusiasm. And I think mm -hmm. that's what also is so important because everybody is watching you yes. in Japan, even though you might be walking around the neighborhood or whatever, People are watching you. So in that situation, we are always under observation of how mm. we're reacting. And that reflects on you ultimately as a, a New Zealander in Japan, I believe. Definitely, definitely. Even, you know, if you are just a bungee in here, <laughs> just a regular uh, member of society here, you're definitely always under observation. But it sounds like she has some great insights to take back to New Zealand from her time that will really benefit the industry that she works in in New Zealand. I think one of the really good things she said was the standardizing of mm. the way of doing things. And that made me think, yeah, it's absolutely what Japanese companies do is make the policy, make the manual. And yeah, maybe they can be a little bit hesitant to deviate from that, but mm. there's a reason for it ultimately that mm. it makes it very easy if people are following the standard process uh, and not having to learn or try to do something different, right? You can yeah. suggest changes to make it incrementally better uh, and improve things that's absolutely true but the standardization mm. uh, she mentioned and i think also monique said future proofing the industry through that which was just a great comment mm. yeah we're definitely experiencing i think this year we had three typhoons coming at japan at one time mm. so far already and i was thinking i've never seen that before in the 20 years i've been here i've never seen three typhoons coming towards japan at the same time before so we really are dealing with different things that need to be future proofed for uh, as yeah. much as we can yeah but new mm. zealand's having its own experience of weather events and mm. there must be such a lot to learn from this especially in the fisheries industry but other industries too so that was just awesome um yeah, i didn't even know chat. like even the beginning there where we talked about victoria university having that coastal ecosystem laboratory mm. like what these things i don't know but you know there's just so much potential and i hope it's encouraged people to think about what kinds of scholarships and adventures there might be yes. waiting that you haven't found out about mm. between New Zealand and Japan. So if you're wanting to come here, do that. Yeah, yeah, that that's amazing, right? So how many other opportunities there might be out there you just don't know about that could yeah, really change the trajectory of your life. If Absolutely. You, yeah. We know Mombashow, of course, has been there for a long time. The Japanese mm. government education ministry has yeah. scholarships, Mombashow. But we've also heard recently about other ones that are Japan and Korea combined coming from New Zealand, study tours mm. uh, and things like that. But it's just there seems to be so many more, but you have to find it. You have to do the work. Yes. Yeah. yes. Good luck <laughs> with finding good that. Good luck, Monique, and good luck to anybody who's um, heard this and thinks that they would love to apply for the scholarship. You, you know it's going to happen if you put the work in. Mm. Alrighty. Well, that's all we have for this episode. See you again on Jangles in Japan. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out our guests' links in the show notes. This podcast is brought to you today by Catherine O'Connell Law and Pod Launch with Jane. If you have a great story you think should be on the show, come and find us on LinkedIn or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Mata ne!